Chapter Twenty Seven of the Inevitable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock. The Inevitable by Louis Capurus. Translated by Alexander Texiera de Matos. The Inevitable chapter twenty seven at the same time duco developed great powers of work so much thought dimly took shape before him that he was constantly discovering another motive and symbolizing it in another figure he sketched a life-size woman walking with that admixture of a child woman and goddess which characterized his figures and she walked slowly down a descending line towards a sombre depth without seeing or understanding her eyes towards the abyss in magnetic attraction vague hands hovered around her like a cloud and softly pushed and guided her on the hilltop on high rocks in the bright light other figures holding harps called to her but she went towards the depth pushed by hands in the abyss blossomed strange purple orchids like mouths of love when cornelie came to his studio one morning he had suddenly sketched this idea it came upon her as a surprise for he had not mentioned it to her the idea had sprung up suddenly the quick spontaneous execution had not taken him an hour he was almost apologizing to her when he saw her surprise she certainly admired it but shuddered at it and preferred the banners the great water-colour the procession of the women marching to the battle of life and to please her he put the straying woman aside and worked on solely at the striving women but constantly a fresh thought came and disturbed him in his work and in her absence he would sketch some new symbol until the sketches accumulated and lay spread on every side she put them away in portfolios she removed them from easel and board she saved them from wandering too far from the banners and this was the one thing that he completed thus smoothly did their life seem willing to run along a gracious line in one golden direction while his symbols blossom like flowers on either side while the azure of their love seemed to form the sky overhead but she plucked away the superfluous flowers and only the banners waved above their path in the firmament of their ecstasy even as they waved above the militant women they had but one distraction the wedding of the prince and urania a dinner a ball and the ceremony at st carlo attended by all the roman aristocracy who however welcomed the wealthy american bride with a certain reserve but when the prince and princess di forte braccio left for nice all distraction was at an end and the days once more glided along the same gracious golden line and cornelie retained only one unpleasant recollection 
her meeting during those festive days with Mrs. van der Stahl, who cut her persistently, turned her back on her, and succeeded in conveying to her that the friendship was over. She had accepted the position, she had realized how difficult it was, even if Mrs. van der Stahl had been willing to speak to her. To explain to a woman like this, rooted in her social and worldly conventions, her own proud ideas of freedom, independence, and happiness. And she had avoided the girls also, understanding that Mrs. van der Stahl wished it. She was not angry at all this, nor hurt. She could understand it in Duco's mother. She was only a little sad about it, because she liked Mrs. van der Stahl and liked the two girls. But she quite understood. It had to be so. Mrs. van der Stahl knew or suspected everything. Duco's mother could not act differently, though the prince and Urania, for friendship's sake, overlooked any liaison between Duco and Cornelie. Though the Roman world during the wedding festivities accepted them simply as friends, as acquaintances, as fellow countrymen, whatever they might whisper, smiling behind their fans. But now those festivities were over. Now they had passed that point of contact with the world and people. Now their golden line once more sloped gently and evenly before them. Then Cornelie, not thinking of the Hague at all, received a letter from the Hague. The letter was from her father and consisted of several sheets, which surprised her, for he never wrote. What she read startled her greatly, but did not at first dishearten her altogether. Perhaps because she did not realize the full import of her father's news. He implored her forgiveness. He had long been in financial difficulties. He had lost a great deal of money. They would have to move into a smaller house. The atmosphere at home was unpleasant. Mama cried all day. The sisters quarreled. The family proffered advice. The acquaintances were disagreeable. And he implored her forgiveness. He had speculated and lost. And he had also lost her own little capital which he managed for her, her grandmother's legacy. He asked her not to think too hardly of him. Things might have turned out differently, and then she would have been three times as well off. He admitted it, he had done wrong, but still he was her father, and he asked her, his child, to forgive him and requested her to come home. She was at first greatly startled, but soon recovered her calmness. She was in too happy a mood of vital harmony to be depressed by the news. She received the letter in bed, did not get up at once, reflected a little, then dressed, breakfasted as usual, and went to Duco. He received her with enthusiasm and showed her three new sketches. She reproached him gently for allowing himself to be distracted from his main idea, said that these distractions would exhaust his activity, his perseverance. She urged him to keep on working at the banners, and she inspected the great watercolor intently with the ancient crumbling forum-like city and the procession of the women towards the metropolis of the future, standing high in the dawn. 
and suddenly it was borne in upon her that her future also had fallen into ruins and that its crumbling arches hung menacingly over her head then she gave him her father's letter to read he read it twice looked at her aghast and asked what she proposed to do she said that she had already thought it over but so far decided only upon the most immediate thing to be done to give up her rooms and to come to him in his studio she had just enough left to pay the rent of her rooms but after that she had no money no money at all she had never consented to accept alimony from her husband all that was still due to her was the payment for her article he at once put out his hands to her kissed her and said that this had been also his idea at once that she should come to him and live with him he had enough a tiny patrimony he made a little money in addition there would be enough for the two of them and they laughed and kissed and glanced around the studio duco slept in a small adjoining den a sort of long-walled cupboard and they glanced round to see what they could do cornelie knew here a curtain draped over a cord with her wash-hand stand behind it that was all she needed only that little corner otherwise duco would not have a good light they were very merry and thought it a jolly capital idea they went out at once bought a little iron bedstead and a dressing table and themselves hung up the curtain then they both went to pack the trunks in the via di serpente and dined at the asteria cornelie suggested that they should dine at home now and then it was cheaper when they returned home she was enchanted that her installation took up so little room hardly six feet by six with that little bed behind the curtain they were very cheerful that evening the bohemianism of it all amused them they were in italy the land of sunshine of beauty of lazzaroni of beggars who slept on the steps of a cathedral and they felt akin to that sunny poverty they were happy they wanted for nothing they would live on nothing or at any rate on very little and they saw the future bright smiling they were together now they would live more closely linked together they loved each other and were happy in a land of beauty in an ideal of noble symbolism and life-embracing art next morning he worked zealously without a word absorbed in his dream in his work and she likewise silent contented happy examined her blouses and skirts attentively and reflected that she would need nothing more for quite another year and that her old clothes were amply sufficient for their life of happiness and simplicity and she answered her father's letter very briefly saying that she forgave him that she was sorry for all of them but that she was not coming back to the hague she would provide for her own maintenance by writing italy was cheap that was all she wrote she did not mention duco she cut herself off from her family in thought and in fact she had met with no sympathy from any of them during her unhappy marriage 
during the painful days of her divorce and now in her turn she felt no affection for them and her happiness made her partial and selfish she wanted nothing but duco nothing but their harmonious life in common he sat working laughing to her now and then as she lay on the couch and reflected she looked at the women marching to battle she too could not remain lying on the couch she too would have to sally forth and fight she foresaw that she would have to fight for him he was at present in the first fine frenzy of his art but if this slackened momentarily after a result of some kind after a success for himself and the world that would be commonplace and logical and then she would have to fight he was the noble element in their two lives his art could never become her breadwinner his little fortune amounted to hardly anything she would have liked to work and make money for both of them so that he need not depart from the pure principle of his art but how was she to strive how to work how to work for their lives and their bread what could she do write it brought in so little what else she was overcome by a slight melancholy because she could do so little she possessed minor talents and accomplishments she wrote a good style she sang she played the piano she could make a blouse and she knew something about cooking she would herself do the cooking now and then and would make her own clothes but that was all so small so little strive work in what way however she would do what she could and suddenly she took up a baedecker turned over the pages and sat down to write at duco's writing-table she thought for a moment and began a casual article a travel picture for a newspaper about the environs of naples that was easier than at once beginning about rome and in the studio filled with a faint warmth of the fire because the room faced north and was chilly everything became still and silent save for the occasional scratching of her pen or the noise made by him when fumbling among his chalks and paint-brushes she wrote a few pages but could not hit upon an ending then she got up he turned round and smiled at her with his smile of friendly happiness and she read to him what she had written it was not in the style of her pamphlet it contained no invective it was a pleasant traveller's sketch he thought it very nice but nothing out of the way but that wasn't necessary she said defending herself and he kissed her for her industry and her pluck it was raining that day and they did not go out for their lunch there were eggs and tomatoes and she made an omelette on an oil stove they drank water ate quantities of bread and while the rain outside lashed the great curtainless windows of the studio they enjoyed their repast sitting like two birds that huddled side by side against each other so as not to get wet End of chapter 27